Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Gavin Oates is a comedian, public speaker, and author of several books, including the Brill Kids series and Life Will See You Now. His latest turns his attention to the teenage years with head full of everything, promising that those seven years don't have to be a struggle. Dr. Deirin O'Leary is a GP and lecturer in Cork. You can also see her on RTE's Today show, Talking Health. And she uses her massive social media platform to dispel medical myths and wellness fads. She was in Dublin this week to launch her own range of supplements and I went along to meet her. And Tom Dunn is known for his love of music. And today he talks to me about the camaraderie Something Happens has given him and a safe space to discuss things going on in his life. Today he talks about how men in particular need to get comfortable with talking about uncomfortable health issues. So what kind of health and wellness week did I have? Well, something I'm trying to work on at the moment is changing the story I tell myself. So let me explain. I know you have heard about self-limiting beliefs, how going around saying I can't doesn't lead to the most successful outcomes and dampens the experience along the way. So I thought I had that fairly down. But what I found myself saying lately is I'm so busy and things are really ramping up and I'm overwhelmed and the juggle of everything is really difficult and possibly all of these are true. But they're not very helpful when it comes to a way of looking at things. So I've been trying to adopt a more positive attitude where I visualise myself floating through the week and I'm grateful for all I have going on. And speaking of women's health, I went to another previous guest this week, Dr. Sarah Callahan, and it was so heartening to hear her talk about the pillars of health. So I went to her for a check in and she spoke about the importance of getting sleep, our nutrition, movement for mental health rather than because we want to change our bodies and restorative time. And she said often women will come into her with a spectrum of symptoms and her advice to each one will, of course, be different. But sometimes there'll be women who are exhausted. They say they're all over the place. And when they discuss their week, it's full time work, small children, aging parents, There's lots of wine throughout the week to help de-stress. Food is all over the place and sleep is out. And that's not to demonise anyone who is just doing their best to get through it all. As I said, but it can be hard, she said, to see what is a lifestyle issue and what is potentially a hormone issue. And restorative time is time when you're doing nothing. That's right, absolutely nothing. So that means no scrolling through your phone, not folding clothes, not catching up on phone calls and WhatsApps. It's sitting in silence, having a few deep breaths. So I might try and get someone on to talk about it a bit more on the show because when I popped it on my Instagram, so many people also contacted me saying they're overwhelmed and wondering where they would fit restorative time in. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, best-selling author, award-winning comedian and international keynote speaker Gavin Oates has written a number of books, including Life Will See You Now and the Brill Kids series. In his latest, he turns his attention to the teenagers, a head full of everything, inspiration for teenagers with the world on their mind. He writes that it demonstrates that being a teenager doesn't have to suck. And when it does, there's something cool that you can do to make it suck a little less. This book will challenge you to embrace your inner weird, to never grow up, be true to yourself, protect your mental health and be sure that for your seven glorious teenage years, you act your age. Gavin Oates joins me now. Hello, Gavin. 
Hey, Claire, I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the show. I can't believe it's just seven. I mean, in the book, you actually <laughs> delve down even deeper. Um, 84 months of change, 364 weeks of weird and 2,555 days of scrolling and inconvenience. It feels like a lifetime when you're going through it, doesn't it? It, it does. I think that's that's just it. You know, I do a huge amount of work with teenagers and it always fascinates me, the the passion and the energy they have for where they're at in that moment. And it always reminds me of being a teen and just how it was just everything at that age. And it seemed to go on forever at the time. But yeah, looking back on it, it flew by and it was only seven years, but it was seven mega dramatic years, all the same. A lot of fun, but also very dramatic. And as you say, you've you've been a a teenager, as have I. You have a a teenage son. I I have a soon-to-be 11-year-old son who is starting to want to move further afield. He wants to head off with his mates on a Saturday afternoon rather than come to a playground with me and his sister. Do you think one of the biggest problems with the teenage years is us parents who struggle to let them go? It definitely plays a part. Um, I think... You know, again, if I if I think about my own son, so he's he's about to turn fourteen. Um, actually, he it was like he turned into a teenager overnight. Do you ever remember Kevin the teenager from Harry Enfield, the comedy <laughs> show? Yes. Uh, you know the original sketch that wee boy went to bed an angelic twelve year old and woke up a terrible thirteen year old. And um, my my son is not terrible, but he certainly woke up a thirteen year old. Um, I think uh, yeah, I mean. My my son is so happy to not be with me right now. Uh, we definitely love each other. He definitely we definitely get on. Uh, but I'm I'm clinging on for just now, and I'm trying my best. And I I am realizing that uh, maybe it's just uh, time for me to to let him go a little bit more and have his own space and his own time. And teenagers are very different now. Um, you know, I remember the days of inviting your friends round to listen to an album. Uh, whereas now teenagers go into the room, shut the door and put their headphones in. Uh, it's a different way of socialising. It's a different way of being. Um, parents definitely have a part to play. And I can remember the days when my parents kind of let me go, I suppose. I grew up in a little town in the west coast of Scotland. There wasn't an awful lot to do. So going into Glasgow on a Saturday afternoon was a big deal. And I remember the first time been allowed to do that. It was magical. I was terrified, but it was magical. And I was so grateful that my parents gave me that chance. So you touched on it there, the heading to the room with the headphones. Can we talk about phones and social media and technology then? Because that seems to be a major bugbear or fear factor when it comes to the the teenage years. Do we need to to ease off and and worry about it a little less or or what's your take on it? So this this was actually the most challenging part of the book to, to write because I think with this book, I need to be very careful with get I needed to be careful to find the balance because I I know that the vast majority of these books will be bought by parents for teenagers. Um yes, there'll be the odd teenager here and there that buys it, but it's going to be a gift from parents and it needs to be a book that parents think, yep, that's the one for my teenager. However, more importantly, it needs to be a book that when it gets handed to a teenager, they look at it and go, yeah, I'll give that a go. So for me, I wanted to I wanted to be very uh, mindful of the messaging around screens and phones because teenagers know it's not good for them. They know there's a problem. However, it's also hugely entertaining. Um, you know, online they can learn some amazing stuff. They can get all sorts of advice and help and support for 
everything and anything from careers to dealing with your parents breaking up. So there's lots of great stuff out there. It can be hugely educational, but at the same time, you know, it's it's destroying people's focus, their attention, their ability to sleep. Um, there's a fantastic book out there called The Glow Kids, you know, and it just conjures up this image of them, you know, all through the night sitting there with that light in their face. But I think uh, I think for me, it was trying to find a middle ground, um, this idea of what we talk about in the book of not entirely missing out. We've called it Finding Nemo. There's all sorts of wonderful uh, phone anxiety related acronyms out there. And this idea of Finding Nemo, not entirely missing out. It sits between FOMO, which I believe is the fear of missing out, and uh, JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. Um, you know, one is um, one is unhealthy and one is probably not realistic for teenagers. So we've tried to find a middle ground, gently encourage them to think about the time they're spending, that opportunity cost, as economists call it, you know, that that 40 minutes scrolling, well, that, that time is all you have. You know, that is your life. You're not getting that back. The challenge is for some, it's four, five, six, seven hours of scrolling. So yeah, it's about getting that message over that you know it's not great for you. It can be great fun, though. Just be more mindful of how much time you're spending actually looking at real humans and having real conversation and eating ice cream and walking in the rain and learning musical instruments and doing all that wonderful stuff that isn't just scrolling for miles with your thumbs. And something else I remember about the teenage years is you just feel like you know it all. You you don't need anybody's help. You don't need anybody's advice, teachers. I mean, surely there's some people that you, you're interested in, but by and large, teachers, parents, you know, you just eye roll and think they're from the ice age. So how did you get the tone right in this? And and, and why did you want to, to write this book and, and try and get into their heads and, and help teenagers a little bit? Well, we, um, like I, say, I, I, I run a business that works in schools and, you know, I'm utterly inspired by our young people every single day. Um, whether that's teenagers or younger kids, again, their mindset, their attitude is incredible. I believe that teenagers get a tough, a tough time. I think the the way they're portrayed in the media is is unfair a lot of the time. And actually, they're our future. They've got brilliant ideas. They're hugely passionate about life and the things that they are into. It's just different now. It's different for them. It's a different way of being and a different way of doing things. And again, just utterly inspired every day of their stories, their ideas, their ambitions. But the challenge that they're faced with, they're, they're so open and honest about mental health. They're so open and honest about the, challenge and the challenges and the pressures of society nowadays. Um, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of brilliant books out there for, for teenagers. Um, but when I ask teenagers about them, quite often I'm told that they're patronising. It still feels like they're being talked down to. It still feels like it's been written by uh, someone ancient, uh, as you say, from the Ice Age. So it was important for me to to get that balance of humour. Uh, humour, of course, breaks down all sorts of barriers, um, you know, bring it to that level that gives them a good laugh, that deals with really serious, really important messages. But if we can wrap it around in really wonderful, uplifting, funny stories that are not cheesy and not corny, uh, then we can get those messages out there. When I when I deliver workshops to teenagers, I have this kind of approach. I talk about my three E's, and that is entertain, enlighten, and educate. And I'm absolutely convinced. I've been doing this for over 20 years now, and 
people would rather be entertained than educated. Rightly or wrongly, people would rather be entertained than educated. They would rather spend more money on their entertainment than they would on their education. So I always think if we can entertain, enlighten them and really make them feel something, you know, so my writing, you know, I try and make it as emotive as I possibly can. Um, but of course, if we can be teaching them great stuff along the way, then then all the better. And I think what, or what I hope I've managed to do with this book is, is get that education bit in there, but in a way that it doesn't feel like you're being taught. It doesn't feel like you're you're learning. It just it's a great read, great stories, and maybe maybe it's later on that night when you're lying in your bed, the messages jump up and smack you around the face, and you think, oh yeah, okay, it's me. I need to I need to be thinking about that. So yeah, it was getting that tone, lots of humour, lots of stories, and making sure that the really important stuff is is wrapped up in there somewhere. We also hear a lot, as you say, we get a bad teenagers get a bad rap and there's a whole lot of negative focus all the time. And and something else that that we hear is that anxiety has gone through the roof. And that's something else you tackle in the book and you draw on your own experience. You describe yourself as hugely emotional as a teenager. You'd huge challenges with anxiety. You struggled with your exams. You were having problems with a bully. So how did you marry that through the book? I think I think the honesty aspect of that was was front and center for me. I think I just needed to to to, to tell the truth. I didn't I didn't quite lay it out as bare as I, I have done with with some other books that are uh, for for the more grown ups, shall, shall we say? But you know, I, I've struggled with anxiety from the age of five, and I think whilst we are getting better at talking about it, whilst there's more in the the media, there's more on social media, and teenagers they they know a lot more about it. I think for me, it still needs to be spoken about more, and we need we need people to speak up. We need people to be honest and open up and share not just their journey, but share the the things that they found that that work. I think one of the challenges we have with anxiety, in particular, now is, and I kind of touch on this in the book. Anxiety is sometimes used now as just a label for something. You know, somebody tells you they don't like the item of clothes you're wearing, and you know, all of a sudden we've got anxiety. But I'm trying to explain to these young people there is a difference between anxiety and anxiety disorder. You know, it's it's okay to be anxious. We need anxiety in our lives. It helps us to survive. It helps us to live. However, sometimes it goes from that low-level anxiety to something much, much bigger that unfortunately eats away and feeds into everything that we do, the way we feel, the way we think, our actions, our behaviours, our decisions. So for me, it was about being really, really honest and and letting people see that there's there's people out there who know how they feel. And actually, you know, the book only came out last Thursday, and there was a review uh, came in just I think it was day before yesterday from a teenager uh, who said that specifically the bit around anxiety and mental health was the bit that jumped out most because everything else she's ever read is either too sciencey uh, for her or it's too patronising and it was just nice to know that there is somebody out there who feels the same way as her. Um, so it's a, it's a topic that I think uh, needs to be tackled. I think with the last couple of years in particular, with the pandemic, I mean, even the last 13 or 14 days with the news, you know, anxiety and fear and all these things are high. Um, but I think for me, it's it's kind of almost become a bit of a, tick box for a lot of people out there I think it's jumped to the top of people's to-do lists Claire and but it's not a to-do you know you are not a to-do teenagers are not a to-do you know mental health and anxiety all these things it's it's so much more than that so 
yeah, I mean, I'm only scratching the surface really uh, with this book, but so far with the feedback I'm getting, it seems to be, it seems to be a, um, a nice balance for all the teenagers out there to 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 feel and understand that the way they are feeling is okay, and there's things you can do about it. And you can laugh at it too, and that's what I I love that you can kind of swing between your role as a teacher and keynote speaker and then as a stand-up comic so you can throw that in with your personal experience and something you have in the book that that made me laugh you you have rules for teenagers um if they were to write them never tidy your room use all the cups and glasses in your house keep them in your room grunt ones for yes leave towels on the floor and your one rule for anti-teenager whether it be the parents, the guardians, whatever. So on the other side, I'm not sure I can say it on the radio. You'd probably get away with it in a podcast, but let's just say <laughs> don't be a rhymes with wick. And yeah. I just think that's such a really good way of of saying it. And I, I've i actually said that to my son many times and thought, God, did I go too far? And I'm like, well, that's the kind of colloquial terms now. It kind of covers a multitude, whether he's fighting with his sister, whether he's giving us lip. I'm like, don't be a d word yeah. and you know i'm so glad that you've backed that up as a as a good parenting move yeah no i think my my dad um i remember as a teenager my dad used to say to me like if i was mouthing off or, or being a bit a bit teenagery shall we say he used to say to me and again there's a specific word here i won't say he used to say gav the world doesn't need another and it was uh uh it ends with whole put it that way and um and uh i I always, I, I remember as a teenager thinking, I can't believe my dad said that to me. But as I got a little bit older, I remember thinking, do you know what? Every time he said it, it really genuinely stopped me in my tracks and made me think, yeah, I'm maybe speaking out of turn here. Yeah, maybe I am being a bit of a you know what. So when I was writing it, I, I uh, <laughs> do you know, I wanted to be just really honest. The, the opening line of the book, again, I won't say it because it's a wee bit sweary. I don't want your listeners thinking the book's full of swearing. It's very mild swearing, but I put a thing out on social media it, for teenagers to tell me what it's like to be a teenager and there was all sorts of things coming in and we got hundreds and hundreds of responses but there was one that came in that everybody jumped all over and it has inspired the opening line of the book and when I say they jumped all over it I mean in a positive way it was hundreds of teenagers piling and saying yes you've nailed it in way less words than I could have and this girl basically wrote being a teenager is brilliant and and the next word rhymes with kite and I read that and looked at all the comments and thought, this is, this is, well, firstly, I think that's a brilliant way to describe being a teenager because it is brilliant and not brilliant. Um, but this is the way they talk. And when I was looking at all the comments, and then again, I think about the, the conversations I have with teenagers through my work, um, it was important for me to, to get the right tone as well. And within those rules that you're talking about, I think that should be the number one rule in life, Claire. I think for adults, I think for workplaces, the number one rule should be don't be a wick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Well, I think your dad should be so proud. He certainly didn't end up a <laughs> end in whole. Your books for adults, kids and now teenagers are just brilliant. People can find out more at GavinOats.com. That is Oats with a double T. Gavin Oates, author of A Head Full of Everything, Inspiration for Teenagers with the World on Their Mind. Thank you so much for coming on. Cheers. 
Tom Dunn is probably best known for his love of music. He is, of course, here weeknights on News Talk and has long been a champion of Irish music and interviewed some of the biggest names in the industry. A member of the band Something Happens, he recently became spokesperson for a male health condition that some might find uncomfortable talking about. But it's about time we all leaned in and opened up. He joins me in studio now. Tom, how are you? Very well indeed. Very well. Now, Tom, I suppose the more we talk about uncomfortable subjects, the less stigma there is around it. When you were asked to be part of this campaign, was there part of you that thought, in the same way as I think many women would be like, do I really want to talk about the menopause? Does it age me? Did you have some of those unfounded considerations? No, you just said yes. I saw that. No, I I saw it and walked away. I thought, never, never. And then I thought, uh, about a day later, I thought you you should read the email, Tom. You know, at least read the email. Um, so I read through the email, and they had uh, Richie Sadler, and and they said, "Would you take a look at the Richie Sadler stuff?" So I thought, "Yeah, okay, I'll take a look at that." And I, I watched his interview. He did an interview. They did a few interviews. One in particular, he posted on um, his Instagram feed was very good. But what was really interesting was the, the comments section afterwards, and that was all the partners of men, and they were all saying. My husband has this, my partner has this, and it's doing his head in, and you have no idea um, how it's undermining him and how it's interfering with his mental health. And it's really great seeing you, Richie, talking about it because you're somebody who watches on TV and, you know, football and all that. So getting the idea out there is is a weight off his mind. So I, I just, that really struck a chord with me because I really felt, um, and it's come to me over the course of many years, men are incredible at not talking about things and I, I'm I'm on that list you know when I said it to Audrey my wife she laughed at me and said you're you don't talk about anything <laughs> which is I have to be dragged kicking and screaming to talk about things so that made it made a strong impression on me and I just thought it's it's just a bit crazy right across the board it's crazy and I think I've talked a lot in the past about um, my heart and, and I'm kind of an advocate on heart health because of that and I still meet people, I probably meet one person a month to talk, people who are worried about it and have an issue with it and are facing surgery. And um, I would have a coffee and talk them through it and say what to expect and all that kind of thing. But the big thing about heart is that you need to, particularly men in their late 40s or, or you know, around the 50s mark, need to go to the doctor and say, is there the least chance I might have this? Is there the least chance I have that? And if they get checked, that could save their lives. Simple as that, because it's asymptomatic with what I had with my heart. So you've no warning whatsoever. You just suddenly keel over and that's dreadful. And that can be men with young families and all that kind of stuff. So that, you know, that's an awful scenario. But but in talking about that, the whole range of your mental health and anything that's going on, whether it's work problems or, you know, problems with your relationship or anything, we, we just don't talk about things. And the, the men shed movement is huge on the basis of that. And I think, to be honest, bands, I'm in a band, bands are not not far off the men's shed movement. Okay, the sharing like, goes on. There is, yeah. I think if something happens, we talk shoulder to shoulder on stage. When something happens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we just obliquely bring things up. And I, I think that I've been in Something Happens now for uh, 30 years and it's been like this support mechanism <laughs> around me uh, for the entire time. So, 
So I kind of feel I, I was aware of that. So when I did go in then and read the email and I was reading the statistics and it was stuff like 30% of men will worry about, you know, erectile dysfunction, uh, but only 51% say they would um, do something about it. I think that's, uh, you know, it's 36% would be too embarrassed seek any advice on it. That's yeah, a, you know, it's a huge so if, number. So if a huge number are getting it and a huge number then won't do anything about it and you know it's crazy because you can just talk to your pharmacist help is available you can talk to your doctor you can just talk to somebody and um, I, I see that as a huge part of uh, what kind of life do you want that would be the question and, and not settling for a particular type of life. I, I'm the harsh thing has really opened my eyes and I've had a real hard look at my diet and, and exercise and all of those things. I want the next 20 years of my life to be really full of enjoyment and uh, I want to live as much of it as I can. You know, I'm doing extra gigs now. I love music more than anything. and I've, I have extra gigs coming up because of that, more singing and songwriting. But I want to be healthy, you know, so I, I, I don't want to settle for 20 years of just accepting that you're getting a bit older and, and things happen. I want as few, you know, bad things to happen as I can, as I can, as, as are within my control to do something about and that that's something that people can do something about so don't be embarrassed and don't settle for stuff and talk to somebody that's that's the big message of the whole thing and why do you think there's certain body parts that we don't want to talk about I mean if you say the heart people are like yeah you go in you ask yeah. the doctor I mean obviously you're scared and there's worries and there's all that side of things but there's certain things we want to talk about but when it comes to our mind or obviously we're talking about erectile dysfunction that seems to be mental health and sexual health there seems to be an undercurrent of failure that you have failed in some way something is wrong rather than something may be going on in your body that needs yeah. medical attention why do you think we skew it in our heads I think there's a real simplistic kind of view uh, of, of what being a particular type of person is and I, I think I'm talking particularly about men and I think there's a real there's almost a John Wayne you know, version of what being a man is in everybody's head. Uh, that you're strong and you're silent and you handle things. You don't seek advice. You just take things on board. You take control of things. And I think that's that's ingrained in you from growing up. And probably in the media, it's it's this real strong representation of masculinity that you just see time and time and time again. And the idea that, that could be nuanced is just, it just isn't dealt with or, or examined. Uh, I can remember, God, it sounds so trivial, but uh, the idea of men moisturising came around once and um, and that seemed like something you couldn't, you couldn't admit to. And I remember that we talked to an international Irish rugby player. He said, of course I moisturise. <laughs> it was just this moment of, we all bloody do it, you know, come on, you know. <laughs> but again, it was just this move away from this, this stereotypical view. But the stereotypical view is very strong. Your sexuality, you see that as part of your masculinity. Um, and that's that's something that's real. It still exists on an almost schoolyard level. That You need to be strong. I'm, you know, I'm macho. And the idea that you aren't is undermining. And, and it's, again, it's, it's that withdraw into a shell and, and not talk about things. Yeah, and ageing, I think we have a real problem with as well, that we just assume that... Viagra, for example, is something that stereotypically people are picturing this older man. That's what he needs. So if anyone who doesn't fit that stereotype, they're too afraid to, to lean out. And I think we really struggle with, with that, that these ailments are just going to come to us. But as you said, 
just because we're we're living longer doesn't mean things have to go no. downhill. We can do it with a real quality of life. We don't have to accept health issues. We we can fight back against them. And I will always refer to my poster boy of uh, male aging, Paul McCartney. Um, I was at his gig in the cavern four years ago, three years ago, um, just months before my heart surgery. And he was there on stage. I think he was 76 at the time. He played for two hours. It was a sweat box of a venue. He didn't break sweat. Uh, it was absolutely remarkable. And I, I'm looking at him and, and thinking, well, there's an example of, of what 76 can look like. And you have to come away from that and think, there's all different versions of 76. It's all different versions of 66 and 56. And you have to look at them and think, I know which version I want to be closer to. And, and do whatever you can to, as I said, I've, I've managed to get my cholesterol down to just around five. And that's just through diet and exercise. And I intend to get it lower. Uh, you know, you work at things and you try and get yourself. As I say, it's, I see these next 20 years. They're the ones for me. I want them to be good. <laughs> I want to do whatever I can do to make them really Yeah, to keep the vibe you've had till now my going. My kids are young. I have a 13 year old and a 15 year old and I want to enjoy them. I want to you know, play football with them and and just go to gigs and have the crack uh, and not be someone that needs to get home early or anything like that. I want to be I want to be full of vitality for it. So. And looking at Paul McCartney, did you consider becoming a vegetarian? I did, yeah. Absolutely. I, I did for a he while. He didn't break a sweat, you said. He didn't break a sweat. No. And do you know what else he does which, which really appeals to me too? He tends to have a margarita after he has one of these big moments. Because we were, I know, we were in the bar Afterwards, and the the roadie was there, and we could see the roadie, and we recognised him. And we said, "So, what brings you in?" And he's just getting Paul his margarita. Uh, I thought, you know, you can be you can be that fit, that brilliant, and still have a little margarita now and again. That sounds like my kind of life. I went pescatarian on the strength of seeing him that night, but it didn't last because I couldn't keep the rest of the family on board with me, and and meat proved too too fantastic so we are drawn back into it yeah and look let's be honest Paul McCartney probably has a chef that can I have feed a chef them. have you that's going to continue on the next 20 years happy days well hopefully I, she hasn't decided to leave me yet so yeah. <laughs> and can we talk about men talking then I was invited to go down to this place um down near Wicklow called the Healing Forest and there's a guy there Luke Walsh runs it. I heard it. you talking about this on, you were in with Kieran talking about this. Yes yeah. and he he has men's circles where yeah. they come once a week and they talk about all manner of things and they just they just share and I he said come down see the place and, and bring a friend right. and so that was in my mind this men don't talk and we need yeah. to encourage men to talk and my friend Lindsay, I mean, she didn't even have her foot fully in the door and the door closed. And we were deep. We were deep about disgruntled parent stories, disgruntled wife stories, where we're at with our own heads. I mean, literally, I'd hardly taken off from outside her house. We just go deep and we go deep quick, mainly for the shared experience. You don't necessarily give each other advice. You just share and you're like, Okay, so you're having rows too. Okay, right, we're grand. Okay, there's times where you think you, you're not a good parent. Okay, I'm, I'm grand, you know? And I think it's just such an important part of life, the shared experience. So outside of something happens, that doesn't really happen? No, it doesn't. See, now my, my life is coloured by something happens because I know I have that. And we do about 10 gigs a year. And I know there's always that moment where, you know, in the dressing room or on a drive, you, you kind of 
everything gets brought up. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why I was want to know that, but everything gets brought up. Um, but if that wasn't there, I don't know what I would do because I've never been to therapy, for instance. I know um, I think most people I do have. Um, I kind of got involved with it once in my life many, many moons ago, but it wasn't really strictly for a therapy type reason. So that kind of safe place, I think that that's the place, the thing I think we, we don't seem to have. I, I think most men, if you put them in a situation where you said, this is a safe place, you can say whatever you want, they tell you an awful lot of stuff. So I, I think they we have a, a tendency to keep our cards close to our chest and it takes a lot to, to get us to admit anything. I, I think women don't, I've, from what I see, don't seem to have that, uh, they don't keep their cards as close. Now that said, there are certain uncomfortable topics that don't come up and I think this whole notion I know we've been restricted over the last couple of years but this fantastic life we've been living between you know the Celtic Tiger and you can have it all you're expected to be at the top of your game in everything amazing relationships and sex life amazing social life loving your career seeing your friends traveling the world you know it's all there for you so for to put your hand up and say do you know what things in the bedroom with us aren't great it's not a comfortable standing to have and I, I think even women would, would shy away from it Yeah it, it's um, it is I don't know if, if as many people sign up for that you can have it all thing I, I think I think that was really a marketing PR exercise that, that people very quickly realised you actually can't there's only 24 hours in a day and, and you need to prioritise where you want to put your time and your attention Um I know that since my heart, I'm I'm very clear on the stuff that I like to do. I was very lucky; I did most of it anyway. But do you time, look at that as a second chance of sorts? Th- yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't realize I needed a second chance until I got one. Um, but yeah, I find those moments, even um, even when the, when they're acting up, I still kind of think it's great to be around them. You know, this time will go; this time won't last forever. And you look back and, and want it again, even if they're being annoying and they want to get off their phones. Um, so I, I do appreciate all of that. You, can, you can't have it all. It ends too quickly is the bottom line. But yeah, some conversations are, are awkward and that's where I think maybe a, a safe place if you have an issue. So where can people find out more information? Chemists and your local doctor are, okay. are the two people to go to. And speaking of second chances, you are embarking on something solo. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, when the heart was going on, the main thing that was going through my head was to get back and do gigs. And then when I came out, it took ages for us to get a gig because it's to get all four of us free at the same time is hard. So it wasn't until June that we got to do a gig. I was waiting for about four months where I could have done one. And then we did loads of gigs. They were great. And then COVID arrived. Disaster. And I really, really missed it. So during COVID, I took guitar lessons for the first time in my life up to that. And um, I've gone from not being able to play the guitar to being absolutely rubbish on it. And it's taken me a year to get there, I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, I think the more I see good guitar players, the more I realise how bloody difficult it is. So so I got around that anyway. And... um, and then I just had the idea to do gigs with, with Alan Connor, the, our piano player, because we've done stuff together and he's absolutely brilliant. So we're doing our, my first ever solo show is March 22nd upstairs in Whelan's. And I'll be doing Something Happened songs. Now they sound, everything sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song when you have it on piano. Everything. It's incredible. This new depth arrives to them. 
And I have in the radio show, I've interviewed some really amazing people. Brian Wilson, Paul McCartney, Paul Weller, I've, I've, Damon Albarn. I've, I've talked to all of them. And I've asked them really simple questions like, how did you write that song? No, honestly, how did you write that song? And, you know, I have those stories of how they wrote God Only Knows or, you know, That's Entertainment or stuff like that. So I'll play a few of them as well with, with the stories behind them. And I'm dying for it. I wrote some songs as well. I wrote a few new ones. That was that was part of it too. Without having the band, I couldn't write songs. So I needed to learn an instrument to be able to start to write songs again. So I've done that. And well, do it. Upstairs in Whelan's is not huge. If no. I can get a ticket, I will shimmy my yeah. way in there. I would love to see that. And then I will follow you around the stadium tour yes. when that kicks off too. Tom Dunn, I all the best. Thank you. Now, Dr. Darren O'Leary is a GP and lecturer in Cork. You can also see her from time to time on RTE's Today Show, talking all things health. And she uses her massive social media platform to dispel medical myths and give medical information. She was in Dublin this week to launch her own range of supplements and I went along to meet her. So, Darren, we are here in the gorgeous Westbury. You brought the sun back. There's a gorgeous spring vibe in the air and you've launched your supplements range. What's it like to be at this stage of something that I must, I'd imagine is a a long time in the making? Thank you so much for being here this morning, Claire. It's lovely to see the range out there, you know, on shelves, in people's homes. We've been working on it for over a year. Uh, So it's just really nice now to see all of the hard work kind of paying off and seeing people get the benefit of it um, and just seeing it out there and, you know, people really using the product and, you know, getting their health benefit from it. Because you have a huge social media following and it seems to have become the thing now that once you get a social media following, there's some sort of brand or some sort of product. But yours is coming from years of followers asking you what should they take and of course as a GP you're seeing people coming to you with various ailments. Yeah, so it's a mixture of the two. You know, I actually, I learn a lot about people from social media because, you know, there are so many follower messages. Uh, So it's a mixture of the follower messages that I've been getting over the years. So much confusion about multivitamins and supplements and people send me photographs, you know, of their supplement routine and say, Dearian, is this right? Is this too much? I'm confused. Um, Is this what I should be taking? So I've been getting those messages for years and years. Um, And then similarly, you know, in my work as a GP, I meet patients I've never met a patient who actually knows what's in their multivitamin so you know if we're going through their their medication history um, and I ask what they're taking they'll say I'll take a multivitamin and I say well what's in that and nobody knows Um, so you know I just want to, to really empower people with information and to you know if somebody's going to take the time to go out buy a supplement and actually take it every day I want them to get value for their money and I also want them to get a health benefit from it, you know, because I meet women, for example, who are trying to conceive, um, you know, and they're taking maybe vitamin C and evening primrose oil. And that's okay. They're not harmful for them, but, you know, they're missing out on the really important ones, you know, for pregnancy and, you know, in particular folic acid, vitamin D, you know, so important for healthy pregnancy. Uh, So I just want people to get a real and meaningful health benefit out of their supplement routine. Take out the confusion. There's four products in my range. It's folic acid, vitamin D, vitamin B12 and the omega-3 fatty acids. They all provide with a real and meaningful health benefit. If you're taking those, your health will, you know, benefit from taking them. 
And what about the people that will say, well, you know, I eat well, I eat a healthy diet, why do I need to be taking extras? You know, maybe if your diet is very varied and, you know, you're getting in your fish, maybe you don't need the omega-3 fatty acids. If you're getting plenty of vitamin D um, into the diet, you know, maybe your vitamin D level is normal, even though with that said, that is rare in Ireland because of our distance from the equator. You know, vitamin D is a, uh, the sunshine vitamin. We make it in our skin in response to sunlight. Um, so vitamin D uh, deficiency is common in Ireland, even d- despite our best efforts uh, with diet. Um, then, you know, uh, vegan diets, meat-free days or just, you know, vegetarian diets are very common resulting in a very um, what I see very frequently at work is low vitamin B12 um, you know so that's why vitamin B12 is in the range as well so you know if you if you feel that your diet is very varied um, and you uh, you know I find it hard to get the very the variation into my diet every day you know it's hard to change things up all the time and variation is key when it comes to all of those uh, vitamins and minerals um, so you know not everybody has to take them but if you're going to take something these are the ones to take these are the ones that will help because I do remember going to my own GP years ago and saying you know my energy levels are low but is that just because I've got two young kids and work and all of that and and she said that tired all the time Mm. is a symptom that GPs hear about all the time and I gave her that line I eat really well I'm really conscious of, of what I eat but there are very specific recommended daily allowances, aren't there, of leafy green veg, like a handful of rocket here and there and a bit of spinach yeah. isn't really enough. And the same with the with the fish. Yeah. So what will help our energy levels? Because I think that's all the magic pill that we're looking for. Well, you know, so there's no magic pill, OK? And life is tiring. And, you know, we do see tired all the time um, from many patients. And it's a combination of things. And actually, a lot of women in particular say, oh, I'm exhausted. But that's just because I'm a busy mom with, you know, three children and I'm on the go all the time. But we might check in their vitamin D might be low vitamin b12 might be low um so you know there's no magic pill for feeling well all the time but you know th- it comes back to the basics you know claire um you know that we all know but we find it hard to do stress management um you know getting your sleep trying to and i know that's hard with children as well but trying to make time with sleep uh, getting outdoors connecting with your friends disconnecting from the phone um you know all of those things um it's a holistic ro- approach to the tired all of the t- all the time feeling with that said of course sometimes we pick up things like a low iron you know which is um, something that needs to be investigated fully so if you do feel tired all all of the time do attend GP we can check for low iron uh, anemia which can cause tiredness or underactive thyroid but if everything comes back normal do go back to your basics you know it's so lovely to hear you talking that way the discussion on health is really changing isn't it from being a crisis model where we wait until something's gone wrong to minding ourselves all the time and it's not just a a prescription because I think general practitioners come under a lot of unfair criticism that all they'll do is write you an antibiotic and and send you on your way and and that's not necessarily true. I don't think so I mean certainly you know uh, in my GP training always you know when we're advising what is the management of this problem or that problem always you know it's the non-medical management is what you do first you know and that's what you try to encourage, encourage patients to do and also amongst the general population you know people are in that mindset of I want to take care of myself you know people are really motivated and people are so educated now there's so much access to information online I love that as a GP actually I have to say when somebody comes in they tell me what they've been googling what they've been seeing online because at least I can work with it then if something is correct I'm like yeah absolutely great you know keep going if something isn't so correct we can you know work on that and do some more education but I there's there's a huge amount of motivation amongst the general population to do all of the preventative management and self-care as well which is lovely to see but it's very important to you on your social media that you dispel a lot of the misinformation that's out there i was looking through your page ahead of our chat today and you were talking about 
the popularity in IV drips and how everybody is saying they're going to go and get their IV drips in the corner of, of a shopping centre and you're at pains to say be very careful where you're getting your health and wellness advice. Mm, absolutely and you know that's why I started my page actually to share the facts because I would see very um, you know common and basic medical problems made extremely complicated online you know when it doesn't need to be that complicated at all so just wanted to share the facts in a very clear and simple way. And you have been on the other side. You went on your own cancer journey, which you have shared. What was that like to be the patient instead of the doctor? It was really eye-opening and, you know, really helped me. I think it, it has made me a much better doctor because I understand now how vulnerable you feel on the other side. And even being a doctor, there was I know that there was certain benefits, you know, when I was a patient to myself and just that the hospital setting was a familiar place to me. The, you know, the staff, I knew the doctors, I knew the nurses. Um, but even still, you know, you still feel that huge vulnerability. And I understand when people are scared, I understand they're nervous. Um, so I think it has made me a better doctor just having that bit more um, empathy, you know. Did you ever think when you were a medical student and you were starting out that you would, you know, be in a GP practice, that you would have a massive social media following, that you would have a podcast? The fact that it's branched out the way it had, did it take you by surprise? You know, I, well, I never would have imagined that it would be what it is today because I was a medical student, what, in 2006, so Instagram wasn't even a thing back then. But, you know, always actually what I really wanted to be for many years before I started to really enjoy science actually was a newsreader. I wanted to read the news for years. Um, and I was really interested in media, actually, you know, and television and all of that. But that was just something I never really pursued. But it doesn't surprise me. I mean, my, one of my best friends uh, who I've been friends with since I was two years old, she's like, yeah, this all makes perfect sense. You know, she was like, you've always, you know, been you know, saying you want to read the news. That was something I always wanted to do. And then I got into medicine and she's like, but now you're talking about medicine on the television instead of reading the news. So she's like, yeah, this makes sense. Amazing. Well, uh, keep doing what you're doing, Dr. Darren O'Leary, and I look forward to seeing what's still to come. Thank you so much for being here today and for chatting to me today, Claire. So that's it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer this week, Sarah Ruan, and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk.